What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. This is episode 97. We've been giving you a lot of content lately. I hope you guys are liking it. This is four in about a week span. So this is a Monday rundown. We brought Mike Phillips from the Just on the Suffering podcast on to make him suffer a little bit more and talk about the mess for about an hour. Then we broke down the rest of the MLB. We took we went up and down the divisions. We talked about each team. Obviously, Sean and I had to talk a little bit of Yankees, and then we talked some some awards after that. So follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports. Follow us on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. Shoot us an email if you ever want to say hi. Write an article for us. We'll edit that one up. Sorry Sports at Yahoo.com. As as always, check out the website, sorrysports.com, and uh, give Mike a little love. Check out his podcast, Just End the Suffering, and his website is justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Hope I didn't butcher that one, Mike. Sorry if I did. Uh, enjoy the podcast. everybody welcome back to the Saturday Interrupt podcast we're back for a Monday rundown heavy on baseball and we are lucky enough to be joined by Mike Phillips of the Just End the Suffering podcast you guys have seen him writing some tremendous articles for sorrysports.com uh great to have him Mike how are you sir I'm doing very well Sean how are you good and Tom what's up my man what's going on um it's great to have my fantasy baseball as well as football commissioner on honorable man Mike Phillips, um, and he's been killing it on the website, sorrysports.com, with his articles. Anything from tennis to football to what else did you write about? Hockey, Hockey's I think. Hockey's been up there. Hockey, and then we got a Nets article written by you that we're going to be running shortly after this podcast, so be sure to check out the website at sorrysports.com, and um, check him out as well, Just and the Suffering Podcast. And what's your website? Justandthesuffering.wordpress.com, and you guys have both been on this podcast before. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, we have. So why don't we jump right in? I think we should do it. Let's talk about the B team. Let's talk about the minor league team that plays in Queens, huh? Let's do it. Uh, Mike, you're... Uh, you have the floor, my friend. Yeah, you've got a lot to say. We have you on to talk about this topic, and the floor is yours, my good man. Where to begin with this team, man? I'm just telling you, this is just a disaster again, because this team just... They have you all hyped up. They're saying, okay, you know, here we go. We're going all in with this Cano Diaz trade. We signed Jake in the big extension. Here we go. And then here we are, middle of June, the 300-500, heading out. It must be a disastrous road trip. And before you know it, the season's going to be over. Wow, you sound excited. I'm thrilled right now. So why don't we jump into the preseason here? They so they get so they get a new general manager, Brody Van Wagenen. Hell of a name, I have to say. That it is first. a great name. Um, yeah. He right after that he reups um, Jacob Degrom. What a year and a half early. Sean went on your podcast just on the suffering and actually said he hated that deal. I'm in agreement there. How do Still you feel? Do. You know, that deal needed to be made because for what he is to this franchise, that deal had to get done and. The good teams do not let their good players go, and Jake is their best player, so Jake needs to be re-upped, so I have no problem with that signing. Sean? Well, again, as I as I mentioned on your pod, Mike, I, I, I didn't have a problem with them keeping him. I, I think that that was obvious and had to be done. 
my my argument and my question was as why now you have them under control for next year too if you 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 can do it after this year we've already seen him have a couple of health scares this year and although he's pitching not quite as well as he did last year albeit that was a historic year he's having a great season but it didn't have to be done and it seemed like it was simply just done because of the outrage of the fan base more so than actually from a smart baseball decision um you never know when a bad injury is going to come and why would you why would you attach it that kind of load of a of a contract when you didn't have to at that point that was really all i was saying okay well my counter to that is this is that the mets for a while have made it to this point where they want to make sure that they become a destination for players now that of the brody van wagon their idea is that you know what like we want to be player-friendly. That's why Pete Alonso got called up and didn't sit down at the minor leagues for two and a half weeks for a Super 2. Jake DeGrom earned an extension. The players in that clubhouse clearly felt that Jake deserved an extension. And you heard that before camp. Noah Syndergaard came out and said, you know what? Jacob DeGrom needs to get paid. And if they did not do it, they're going to lose the room. So they signed him to a fair deal. He has a chance to get out of that deal after the fifth year. And the Mets have themselves a pitcher in his prime from 30-35 with very light mileage on his arm by that hand because unlike your Chris Sales, unlike your Madison Bumgarners, he's not having a ton of innings on that arm. So I feel like he's going to be a huge threat for them to be a big time factor over the next few years. I agree with everything you said aside from the fact that you want to be a destination and this, that, and the third. Good teams don't let players and fans make their decisions, period. That's all I have to say. And this was one for the fans. I think the Cinder- uh, the Cespedes deal was one for the fans as well. I thought it was a great trade that they made in order to... He pretty much propelled them to a World Series back in 2016. But they made that deal for the fans when they re-upped him. And now, look at He's playing in holes in his, in his ranch and he's breaking both his ankles or whatever the hell happened to him. Yeah, just to echo Tom's point, Mike, and again, I hope you, know, you don't feel like we're piling up. It was more just... I think all of us in are in complete agreement that it is essential to prove to fans, to your own players, to players from other organizations who could view you as a destination that you take care of your players. Again, the timing to me, it didn't make any sense. It didn't have to be done yet. And I think the fact, you know, to build off of what Tom was saying is, you know, good and stable organizations don't let their players make their decisions for their front office. I mean, we've seen it across town a lot. I mean, the Yankees have made some very unpopular decisions, even just, just this one. year. They sent Clint Frazier. Literally, down. just yesterday, they sent down a guy and to bring in a new import who hasn't done anything for the team, and you don't hear anything about it. You know, Brett Gardner's going to lose playing time, and I'm sure there's people in that clubhouse that aren't happy about that. But they get the job done, and they it's – they they just there's a culture there that it's not run by the players in that clubhouse it's run by the people who are in charge of baseball ops and i think that's a perception you know you talk about met fans or you talk about the mets being a team that's reactionary and kind of struggling a lot like you said we've seen this story over and over again and you know you see kind of why it because these kind of things happen and in good stable organizations i don't feel like they do what do you what do you have to say to that well, I have to say that of the moves they made, that one I think almost any reasonable baseball executive would have signed that contract. The other move that Brody made, the Canelo Diaz trade, that one almost nobody would have made. So that's the one I have more of an issue with. All right, so so why don't we talk about the Cano Diaz deal? Um, Sean and I both agree that Degrom should be locked up. He's probably a top three pitcher in baseball. 
just bad timing in, in both of our opinions. But let's talk about the Cano-Diaz deal. Um, how do you feel about that one? Clearly you don't like it. No, I didn't like it at the time for the sole fact that the Mets basically, um, you know these kinds of deals, you have these money dump trades like the Seattle's been doing where they've just been dumping contracts left and right and they wanted to get out of Robinson Cano's $240 million the rest of the day, which I think was 120 over five. The Mets said, okay, We'll take that money, but we want Edwin Diaz, which last year he saved 57 games. Their bullpen's a huge problem, and I can understand why the 24-year-old closer in his prime. The issue I have is that for most teams, they say, okay, we will take the money off your hands, but you have to give us the good closer as the sweetener to take that deal, like the Nets did in the Lakers when they took on Tampa Moscow's contract to get D'Angelo Russell. But the Mets said, okay, we'll do that. We'll take on a lot of this money. But you have to take two of our bad contracts, and we'll give you three prospects, including one very good one who's gotten comparisons of Mike Trout. That is not a good use of your assets right there. And that kid, Jared Kalanick, I guarantee he's going to be a star in this league. The best game him up for a closer on a team that's not ready to win. I, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm sorry for you as a Mets fan. Um, I, I don't have anything to say. I mean, I like the deal at the beginning just because Diaz was a hot name, and I don't follow the Mets as deeply, but... You know, looking deeper into it, them them just giving the Marlins or the Mariners, excuse me, prospects, just when they're the ones who want to dump a huge salary in an aging player and Robinson Cano, who's spent his share, fair share of time on the DL over the past few years, I think that's a bad deal as well. Well, Mike, what I'll say is, and I'll, I, I was a defendant of the trade when it happened. Tom and I were talking I, about, I it and about it. I was happy about it too. I was a proponent of it from the Met side. And the reason being is you look at the year Edwin Diaz had last year, it seemed like he was, his trajectory was up, you know, 24 years old, electric stuff, had a lot of success last year. And the Mets do believe that they were going to contend. They believed if they fixed their bullpen, which gave away almost every single lead Jacob deGrom gave them last year, along with the other starters, that that was a bridge that they were going to be able to fix that by bringing in a, a top-tier closer early, not even in his prime yet. And to me, yeah. I looked at it, I said, you know, to Met fans kind of generally, is you got to look at this as the Edwin Diaz trade, not the Robinson-Cano trade, because I still believe Robinson-Cano is a good player. Is he what he was with the Yankees or even when he first was with the Mariners? No. I do too. It's just the guy can't stay on the fucking field. Right. And, and I looked at it and said, listen, you're still getting a middle-of-the-order bat who's going to play second base for you now. You know you can move him to first. If the NL ever institutes a DH, you know, maybe by the time his his contract is up, he goes there. But even so, you have a guy who's a professional hitter. Not what he was, but a professional hitter. I said if the Mets, for all the problems the Mets are going to have this year, Robinson Cano won't be one of them. Obviously, I have been 100% wrong, but I stand by what I said earlier in the offseason because in a vacuum I still think it made sense but this has just completely backfired in a horrendous way and now you're stuck with this contract that looks even worse not just because he's not playing well but Diaz is coughing up leads left and right yeah there's a couple of problems with that theory there which is number one is that like I can understand your point about saying you know like this is the kind of trade you make to win right now but look what they did after that trade they basically did the exact same offseason they had the year before, except with slightly better players, because they got they signed veteran catcher in Wilson Ramos. They signed a bullpen arm in Jerry Familia. 
they didn't get nearly enough bullpen arms for that bullpen. As we've seen throughout the years, that right now the net circle of trust in the bullpen is really Seth Luger holding his own hand. Nobody else out there can get be trusted to get it out in a big spot. And they threw away $20 million on Jed Lowry has not played a game this year at a position where they had a ton of guys capable of playing. They could have had D.J. LeMahieu. They could have had D.J. LeMahieu. They could have had Adam Adamino as well instead of throwing money on extra utility infield they don't need. And this is the problem is that the Mets never go all the way in. They give you the illusion that, you know what, if you look hard enough, if this goes right and this goes right and this goes right, you can win this year. And that happened in 2015 when everything went right and they won big deadline move and they got to the World Series. But most of the time it goes wrong and you're sitting here in the middle of June and the season almost over. That's a huge problem. Well, let me ask you a quick question because it sounds like we're talking about two different things. Do yeah. we think that their philosophy is wrong as far as looking? Because at least from the outside looking in, I look at that team, you know, the fundamental makeup of that team, and I don't think it's bad. I think they have the starting pitching to give you a chance to win almost every day. You add in a couple of bats. It seems like to me that their idea of becoming, and the NL East is certainly not a powerhouse. I think to me no, but- what's the problem is their talent evaluating. It's not necessarily their philosophical idea of, hey, we can contend this year. It's we brought in the wrong guys. Am I wrong to say that? Or, or, or that's, that's definitely, yeah, what that's do you take from that? That's definitely part of the problem there. I think the talent values is definitely part of the problem there because they cannot identify a good reliever to save their lives. That's also part of the issue. But if you look at how they constructed this roster, that this is still a bad defensive team. And for a team that's built on its pitching, you cannot be giving away outs in the field every chance you get. Look at the game tonight. Pete Alonzo boots a brown ball in the first inning. You get up, you get up a run. You have bad defense on the middle. I'm never sorry it was been a disaster at shortstop. The outfield defense has not been good. J.D. Davis, while he hits it, is a disaster because they have to routinely throw him and Don Smith out on the left because they need the bats. And the problem is, is that, like, again, like they were too confident going into the year with no depth behind their starting five. In games not started by guys in the rotation, they haven't won a single one. And now Noah Syndergaard's out for a while, so good luck filling in for him. And the bullpen, again, too many guys on this team just cannot get out. They just will refuse to go get quality arms in that bullpen. The offseason is coming back to bite them in the butt. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I just think that the Mets are always dipping their toe in the water instead of jumping in. And Exactly. I mean, they've been a bad team for a while. They have the prospects to go out and get somebody, yet they give them away to the Mariners in this stupid, stupid deal that it seems like they gave up way too much when you really start to look deeper into it. Um, and I just think their decision-making is bad. And, again, they're always dipping their toe in the water. They're half pregnant because they don't want to spend any money. And, obviously, I complain about owners a lot on this show. That's that's a top-down thing. Their owners got burned on the Madoff scandal and blah, blah, blah. They just need to sell the team. That's the only way this team's going to get better, and, and I think we can all agree upon that. And, Mike, here's my yeah. question for you, though. And this, this I kind of want to get look at it from this way because I think this is, this is why I look at the DeGrom contract as being wrong for signing this year. You state that this is not a win-now team and they need to preserve their prospects and they need to preserve more of a long-term view. So if you have a long-term view, what are you doing locking up Jacob Degrom now? Because by the time you're you're basically saying if you're if you're not going to try to win now, then Jacob Degrom being in his prime on this team is basically irrelevant. 
he's going to be a great pitcher on a bad team that's rebuilding. And by the time that team's good again, maybe in two, three years, if they follow that motto or that model rather, then he's going to be towards the twilight of that contract. Where I'm saying is, is if you, if you believe you're a win now team, then you have to sign DeGrom. But what it sounds like you're saying is that they should not be a win now team. They should preserve their prospects. And if that's the case, then DeGrom's contract looks like even more of a blunder right now. Cause you don't have to do it now. You know what I'm saying? The problem, yeah, the problem I have what you're saying is that like, they're spending money, but they're spending it very stupidly. Yeah, I, like, I agree, but that's like, the thing. Like, 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 it's not even the garage money. It's taking on a 36-year-old second baseman for $100 million when you could invest that money in a lot of good players who are in their primes and are capable of contributing right now. And when is the last time the Mets have signed a top-of-the-market free agent? Well, they can't because they won't do it. Exactly. That's the problem there because they're not throwing the money at the best talent. They're throwing money at garbage, and then they're getting bad returns, and they're going, gee, where did our money go? But again, to me, to me, that's not a philosoph that that's not a philosophical issue. Then we're not talking about rebuilding or going for it. We're talking about getting the right players in here. Because if Jed, I like the Jed Lowry signing. I I thought of Jed Lowry, and it just turns out he's hurt. Because of course this would happen to the Mets. But I I was like, that's a good signing. Cano, I didn't think was going to be this bad. I thought Diaz was going to be a lockdown closer for you guys. I thought Familia was going to insert himself in the eighth inning and I be a good Justin pitcher. I thought Justin Wilson was going to be a I great I thought Justin Wilson, yeah, Tom and I were like, every move these guys make, this looks really good in a vacuum. So again, I don't think the problem is their outlook or you know whether they're a win-now team or not. They could be a win-now team. It's just every move they make seems to be wrong. I mean, the Yankees go bargain basement hunting. They bring in LeMahieu. Everybody's yelling they don't sign Machado. LeMahieu's their MVP. They bring in Luke Voigt off a trade. The guy turns into an all-star. Gio Rochella's hitting three thirty. It's a to me. It's the problem is when we talk about them being cheap. It's not a, even a whole deal about being cheap as far as signing free agents and bringing in trades. They're cheap clearly in their analytics department, which is one of the smallest in baseball. They don't preserve a lot of the new age philosophies that winning teams have. They had their Triple A team forever in Vegas because it was cheaper. And to me, was when we're talking about well, cheap, up, it's, it's all up and down the line, and that's why they're not good because they don't make the sound baseball decisions that uh, winning teams make. Yeah, let me clear up the Vegas thing real quick. That was just the result of them being stuck in a musical chair situation. The minor league affiliate deal is really dumb. Where every there's only thirty like affiliates per team per level. So like a Triple A, if you don't have the right team, so like let's say like the Mets, for instance. They got stuck. It's a game of musical chairs. So they got stuck with Las Vegas. Nobody wanted for a long time. They finally got a spot they wanted here because they're buying their own affiliate. The Nationals now are the ones screwed. The Nationals are out in California with their AAA team. That's a whole other problem. But what the Mets do wrong here in general is that they sort of don't value their assets correctly. Because think back to Jared Kalenic, the guy in this trade. If this guy is so valuable, like people think he's the next trap, Mike Trout. Why are you burning him for a closer in a year when you have a ton of closer on the free agent market? You could use him to get a premium center fielder, which they've not had in a long time. You could use him to get a big-time starting pitcher. You could use him to get a great position player. Why are you burning that shit on a 24-year-old closer? That makes no sense to me. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that the Mets just make terrible decisions altogether. And again, I'm just going to go back to the top down. 
they don't employ the right people. They don't make the right decisions. I'm looking so far. I mean, Callaway, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but he's obviously a dead man walking, and I really don't like what Brody Van Wagenen's done because I didn't like the DeGrom deal, and I haven't liked any of the, the other moves that he's made so far. Just, I mean, we liked them at the beginning of the year, but now looking at the Mets, again, they're three games out of under 500. And it just yeah, seems that- like every decision they make is one that you just have to scratch your head at. Aside from a few signings that they made earlier in the season, which looked pretty good, again, giving up a blue-chip prospect for a closer in a year where, you know, you think you're going to make a run at it, but you don't absolutely know. Like, if the Yankees gave up a blue-chip prospect for a closer, I mean, that'd be, one, an embarrassment. By the way, the Yankees have given up a lot of blue-chip prospects for guys that haven't turned out to be great. But, again, the Yankees were in a legitimate position to win. The Mets are not. But I disagree. I think if you put the right people around this team, and and Mike, you're watching them every day, I I think if you have a rotation like that, you have to try to win. You have to compete. Because when are you getting that kind of situation again? uh, To me, it's uh, just, again, the Mets have chosen to build around a rotation in pitching when no other team these days are doing that. All teams do is develop homegrown great position players, everyday players, build a nucleus, and then they fill out their rotation or maybe sign a guy or they have a guy come up. That's great. But I don't, I can't think of any other really good team that's come up from the bottom, the Houston's, the Chicago's, the Yankees, all these other teams that have come up, Minnesota, all of them start with a really great nucleus of position, everyday players, and they fill out their pitching from there. And again, the Mets are doing it backwards and it hasn't worked. Again, the problem here also with the pitching approach is that you, the difference between the Mets and the Rays, the Rays are trying to build on pitching too, that the Rays play phenomenal defense. The Rays catch the baseball better than any team I've ever seen. The Mets are one of the worst in the league defensively, and they've been that way for about six, seven years. And If you're building on pitching, you how you don't have a good defensive team behind them to, to get out, save them extra pitch and get them going deeper in the game is a big flaw in the design of the plan. All right, so let's say the Mets are trying to blow it up right now, which I would be if I were the Mets. The Yankees go to them. I know the Yankees and Mets don't make trades, but I'm asking you as a fan, Andahar and Frazier and two blue-chip prospects for DeGrom. Say no. The the Mets are not going to do that trade. I can tell you that for a fact. For DeGrom, I would not do it because DeGrom is my one dependable guy. What? So Okay, so every fifth day you'll win a game. That's nice. And that's not true. Because true, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good he pitches. They but that's they don't that's score. going back to the. the Mets, that's also the Mets are incompetent around the ground too. The bullpen blows. But I'm asking you. But I'm asking you, and you, and you're saying to me that you wouldn't make that deal to completely rebuild your team. I'm not going to do that deal. I would move one of the other pitchers. I would not move him. I wouldn't do that deal for any other pitcher on the Mets. I probably wouldn't I would, do that would, deal for any other what? pitcher in baseball aside from Jacob Degrom. I mean, because you're you're telling me that you wouldn't give up Jacob Degrom to literally rebuild your entire franchise when J- when I don't see the Mets making the playoffs for the next five years of that. And Jacob that's DeGrom now contract. what this Tom, you're so right because now this is what you do by giving him the extension. Now you don't even you can't even entertain the thought of trading him. No, where he could be the deal. greatest. He could be the greatest asset on a market. And you would have the possibility to reset your entire franchise 
immediately. Yeah. And, and, and listen, we all love DeGrom. I hope you know that I'm not criticizing yeah. him as a pitcher. He's amazing. As a team spokesman, he's, he's must-watch appointment television every time he takes the ball. But you know in that appointment television that you can just enjoy him pitching his seven innings and maybe and probably losing because there's no runs that are going to be scored and he's got a bullpen that's going to cough up his lead. And that, to me, having seen teams with a great starting pitcher, and listen, the Mets have had their history of elite starting pitching and not enough around them, that, that hard-headedness is what separates great teams who have to make the difficult decisions and trade a guy uh, to reset the roster and make sure they're good for a long time. And um, and a team that is constantly caught in between, which is, you know, to use the plug of your podcast, just end the suffering. They're not going to make those decisions because they're too hard-headed. And that's why I, I, again, not just because he might get hurt in the breakdown, but by giving him that contract extension now, you you completely bury any chance that you have because if you if they have a change of heart and say, hey, listen, we we have a chance to restart. Clearly, this plan isn't working. We have some assets, but nobody's really interested in the Wheelers, who's a free agent at the end of the year. You're going to get a nice piece for for him, but you're not getting anything elite. Syndergaard has lost some of his value because he's hurt all the time and he hasn't been electric when he's pitched. And now you have this incredible asset to the likes of almost nobody seen and you're not going to be able to move him even if they wanted to now and that to me is just again it didn't have to be done yet and now you're looking at a team that's they can't trade him they can't tell their fan base we just extended him to trade him and now you get this incredible pitcher every five days getting no decisions or losses and occasionally a win pitching his guts out on a team that stinks. Yeah, here's the problem, though, with that line of thinking, is that, number one, Brody Van Wagenen came out last year, and as soon as he got there, he said, we are here to win now, we are here to win in the future, and we are going to win as long as I'm here. And they made that big move with the Cano trade, that they decided, you know what, we're going in this direction. We don't want to sell. We don't want to give the illusion of going through a rebuild again like they Remember, back in 2011, when they started the last rebuild, they never called it a rebuild. They just called it money, ball, and money, which was a load of, a load of bull, to be honest with you. And the, the sign that this team just, just doesn't get it. You know, which which reason last year, I'll ask both of you, who been the perfect fit for that franchise? What I don't know. I, don't, uh, I would say DJ LeMahieu would be pretty good. Are you no, talking, I mean, about, are you talking about like a top-tier free agent, or are you talking about just yes. a... The top, the, the top of the market, guys. Machado. Ding, ding, ding. This team needs a third baseman who could, and he's a weak fielder. He puts the ball in play, and they need a guy in the middle of that wire to be the anchor. They could have gotten him, but no, they had to go pick up a hundred million dollars around the Canelo. They were never going to pay him. Hard. They were never going to pay him three hundred million for ten years. Yeah, but this is a poor thing that they have. They rather give a thirty-six-year-old second base a hundred million dollars than pay a twenty. Because he was attached to the closer that they thought was going to be able to preserve leads finally for an no, elite I, pitching I, staff. I have to agree with but Phillips. I have to agree with Phillips. I mean, you're giving hundred million dollars to a thirty-six-year-old. You might as well sink your money into a twenty-whatever-year-old. No, I agree. But that deal was not made 
explicitly for Cano. That was, we no, really I, want Edwin Diaz, and we're going to have to take I understand that, but the, this goes back to Mike's point of, let's just dip our toe in the water instead of jump in. And that's the Mets' entire problem, is that they want to get, because they think their fans are stupid, and they want to give them the perception that they're winning, but never go all in. And that's exactly. why they made that deal as opposed to going all all in, balls to the wall for Machado, who it's not like Machado re-signed with the Dodgers. It's not like he signed with the Yankees. He signed with the San Diego Padres. No. Whoever gave him that deal, he was going to take it. No, I totally agree with you guys on that. But again, we're, we're having a different argument here. I agree that they should not have made Robinson Cano their top priority. The problem, though, is that we know all of us are intelligent enough to know they're not going to swim in the waters of $300 million for 10 years. That's not going to happen. They are not in contention to sign elite free agents. So they have to go outside the box and try to attach other kind of deals. Yes, $100 million is still a lot of money, but that's $200 million less than for what Machado got. And in their opinion, they were getting a top-of-the-line elite closer, too. Now, that, that's the problem with the, what they're thinking there. Why, why on earth should they not be on some other guy? They are the top of the market. They play in New York City. They have a television network that prints money like nobody's business. They have a stadium that's beautiful. They, sell, they charge plenty for tickets. Why can't they be in the market for these big time guys? Why are we? Why are you selling for the B the B free agents? If why I knew, not going to that? if I knew the answer, I'd be running the Mets, my friend. I mean, that's the frustration. That's, that's the problem, and and that's that's. What you are as a Mets fan, uh, it sucks. Trust me, I'm a yeah, Knicks fan. Yeah. I, I know, but that's yeah, the thing. Be, like they don't have, they're half pregnant with everything, and you're going to be dealing with this until they sell the team. They're cheap in all aspects of the team, and you're right, Mike and Tom. They have the re- they should. The emphasis on the word should have all the resources that the Yankees do. They have their own TV network. They play in a great stadium. They play in New York City. They have the luxuries of being a top-tier team. But ever since Carlos Beltran, they haven't, and I guess maybe Jason Bay, like they have not gone out and even entertained the thought of signing a top-tier free agent. So if they have to go out and make moves like, you know, that contract negotiation with Cespedes, giving him the three years, because they didn't want to give him a long-term deal because... You know, that just wasn't going to be something they wanted to do or could even afford. They can't afford it. So for whatever reason, in my opinion, the Met fans need to sit back and say, this is the reality we're in. So we have to accept the fact that we can make other trades. The problem is, is that they're not savvy enough or intelligent enough in the front office to make the proper moves. If you just change DJ LeMahieu with Jed Lowry, you're in. You're probably leading the East right now. If you just change Adam Adovino and Jairus Familia, you're yeah, already the in. The, you're probably leading the East right now. But again, they don't swim in the waters with the teams that are offering those guys the kind of deals that they're getting, and that's just the reality. Whether it's right or wrong, obviously it's wrong. It, it, that's just how. That's just how it works. Yeah, it is how it works with them. And the thing that frustrates you, you know, Andrew Mets fans, is that they had a guy in their interview project for the GMs who, his name was Hein Bloom. He is one of the execs of Tampa Bay Rays, who win on a shoestring budget. Would that not be the guy you would want to go after if you're trying to say, you know what, we can't compete on a payroll level with the Yankees. Let's build a smarter way. But no, we had to go get the flashy guy and get Brody Van Wagen, who is friends with Jeff Wilpon, by the way, which is the only reason why he was in the mix of that job, because... You have to ask him to interview for it. 
and he sold Jeff our vision. And Jeff said, you know what? I can work with him. We can sell this idea that we can, we're going to go all in and do one big flashy moment have our usual offseason. And that's exactly what the nice place they're going after the right candidate. Yeah, I completely agree with you. They should either stop dip, stop dipping their toe in the water and either go balls to the wall and spend money, which they're never going to do, or go all in on the money ball aspect and, and try and win cheap like the Tampa Bay Rays seem to do every, what, four years? Like the Oakland, Oakland Athletics seem to do every four years as well. Um, and honestly, that's nothing to be ashamed of as a Mets fan. I would own that if I was a Mets fan. It's better than sucking every year and being caught in the middle and finishing third in the NL East every year. Or fourth most of the time. Yeah, 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 and again, like you look at the Rays, they don't have much money, but they're always ahead of the curve. You've got Oakland, who you look at some of the guys that they import, a guy like a Chris Davis, K-H-R-I-S, and then, you know, Stephen Piscotti. I mean, these are not household names when they're acquiring them, but their philosophy works these players fit well with what they're trying to do. Tampa Bay makes a deal, you know, possibly the steal of, we'll see how it all plays out, but this could be the steal of the last five, six years of acquiring Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now for a completely done Chris Archer. Yep. I mean, that's a that's a team that just gets it. And they're the reason they're always good is they, yeah, you're right, they build around their young pitching, but they also bring in incredible young everyday position players. They have a Willie Adamas. I mean, they stole Tony Pham from the Cardinals. Literally stole him. Yeah. And so, that, that's what makes that's that's the thing. Like why can't the Mets even do that? If you if you just suck it up and acknowledge that they're not going to spend the money, Tampa Bay's not spending the money, Oakland's not spending the money. Even other teams. Look at what Minnesota's done. They have the best record in baseball. They bring in a Nelson Cruz. Now, he probably couldn't go to the Mets cuz he has to play, he has to be DH. But they bring in a Jonathan Scope, who was basically done after last year, who didn't even make the Brewers postseason roster. But they look at him and say, here's an all-star two years removed from Baltimore, and we're going to bring him in, and we think he's going to be good. And they have the best record in baseball. And the Mets just seem like they're always missing out on these kind of guys. It, isn't that weird? Like, I again, like... Where is the scouting department? Where is the analytics department? Where is the new age baseball? Because it seems like everybody that they bring in is wrong, and I don't think that's a coincidence. That's incompetence. Well, to be fair to Brody this year, at least, like they, they did invest more in the analytics of the scouting after he came, and you've seen some of their guys that they got on the scrap heap have been pretty good for them. Danny Gatchereen has been a pretty good role player. Carlos Gomez is at his moments. Rosa Davis had a big thrill over coming out of the Uber, but like, they just are not spending their money wisely on the bigger ticket item. And that's got, been an administrative issue. who's gone back through several GMs. Absolutely. And I think the other problem is that they're spending money on the analytics department in 2019. You don't just build up an analytics department in a year. It's like anything else. If they are committed to analytics and playing new age baseball and possibly doing the money ball thing, which I don't even know if they're committed to doing the money ball thing, but aside from that, the analytics – that's not going to be established for the Mets uh, deeply for another another four years. I mean, the Yankees and, and the Athletics, I mean, you're looking back in the early 2000s for the Athletics, everybody else caught up around 2010, 2011, and if the Mets are doing it in 2019, I mean, everything this team does is wrong. I, they, they wait till 2019 to start really looking into analytics. And 
again, you, you just got to hope for the selling of the team. It's just like the mix. You just got to hope that they sell the team. Or maybe the president will make them an ambassador of Zimbabwe or something because that's what got Woody Johnson and the Jets out of the, out of the front office. And I don't really like his son, but he's not as bad as Woody, so I'll take him. Yeah, here's the thing, though, with that. I think it's interesting. It's like, I heard this theory on WFAN when he was Matt Roberts. He made an interesting point. Can you imagine how much easier our lives would be if the Knicks and the Mets swapped owners? Well, why would you think that? Well, number one, James Dolan loves to spend his money. So if James Dolan ran the Mets, he would not have this problem of not spending enough cash on players. Like, Good James Dolan plays hard with both, both the Mets. And the Wilpons, like, if they own the Knicks, like, they would not be going bananas for every mediocre small forward in the league like Dolan likes to do. So they would let them, they would be more frugal with the financial Knicks have the cap or actually do the things. That's true. It's salary capped league, so they, they wouldn't really, you wouldn't really have to worry about them spending money. My I like, only question I like what is, you're saying. My only question is, is how much does James Dolan like baseball? Because if he's making the decisions too, I would, in baseball that he does in basketball, I would have some serious reservations. Bigger, bigger, more seats for his jazz band though. At City Field. Keep True. that in mind. True. Keep that in mind. It's not in the city, that is, though. That is true. All right, so I, let's talk Let's talk your manager here, Mickey Calloway. How do you feel about him? What's going on? I think he's a dead man oh walking. Boy. That guy is a dead man walking. Let's get one thing clear. I said this on my podcast today, and an episode I'm going to actually drop today. Give this a road plug. trip that they're going on right now. Yeah, I gave myself my own plug. This road trip they're on right now to Atlanta, Chicago, and Philly. It's 11 games. Like, what part of this trip makes, what part of this team's history says, you know what, they're going to do better than, say, 2-9 and nine on this trip. And then when they come back home, Mickey's going to be out of job. That's my prediction. I'm going to give you guys that prediction as well. So he's going to get fired over this road trip. That's what you think? If this team does what they use, they've been doing, they're going to play 2-9 and nine baseball. Because this, these are three very good teams that are playing. And they're going in, they're tossing down two starting pitchers. It is. Sinjari's on the injured list. Jason Vargas might be heading there too, depending on how this cramp situation ends up shaking up with him. So, and the bullpen can't hold the lead to save their lives. So, you're asking the Rockets to win more than three, four games of this trip. They have a disaster. They're going to be like ten or five hundred. I don't think they have a choice at that point, but they might know. Don't you think it was crazy that they didn't fire him a month ago after they got swept in Miami? I know they subsequently went into. I think handle a, a Washington team in a sweep at home, but Washington has their own problems. But I thought that was the perfect time to do it. And then Brody gave him a kind of a pat on the back and said, you know, the team is going to rally around him and he's our manager for the foreseeable future. Doesn't it look even worse if you fire him now? I feel like you've got to ride this out. The players seem to love him. I don't think they think he knows what he's doing, but they seem to love him. He has kind of that player's manager feel to him. I just think he's in way over his head. And I think that's even that, that's been very evident, but how do you let him go now when you didn't let him go a month ago? Because you're going to hit rock, you're going to hit really bad stretches if you're not a good baseball team. So nothing that they do now is going to change from what they did a month ago to what they do a month from now. It's again like they don't have any. They don't know what they're doing. There's no conviction behind this. Is he your guy or not? The problem here is that basically they're going to basically the fans are going to be in uproar with this team, but they were promised that he was going to win right now. If they come back to New York, terror five hundred, this really won't win. But didn't this, you this know that a month ago, Mike? Didn't you know that a month ago when you go in and get swept by the right. Marlins? You know that yeah, this team's fans, not that good. Yeah, they know that. But the theory that I've heard, that I've heard going around, this is a little conspiracy theorist stuff. Is that like? 
the reason Nikki still has a job is that right now he is the cover for Murray Van Wagenen, so that the fans, the ignorant ones, say, oh, Nikki stinks, Nikki can't manage the bullpen, and all this is true. But as long as Nikki is here, there's not much heat being thrown at Brody for all they move basically blowing up his face. So wouldn't it behoove them to keep him all year? It does to a point, but like, they have to make an argument at point, saying, oh, we're going to try and save the season. That's why Jim Rickleman is here. And Rickleman is, is an expert at being an interim manager. He's done it four times in his career. So they said, okay, we're going to Rickleman. Rickleman's going to try and write the ship. And if Rickleman doesn't, they'll go out at the end of the year and try and hire a manager. But again, back in May, when you had more of the season, that made sense. I would have been on board with it. He's been done. Okay, you gave him a chance. It didn't work. He's not managing the bullpen. This team's starting to lose confidence and, and ball games at a, at a you know high clip. You give him another month plus to do the same thing, and now you get rid of him to bring in a Riggleman to save the season when now you've lost, you know, 40 more games on the schedule? Like, that's my question. Like, why? what what difference does it make to do it now? You should have done it a while ago, and now the season's going to end, and if he is the fall guy for Van Wagenen, then just do it at the end of the year and say, hey, we gave it a shot. We wanted him to right the ship. It didn't work out. We have Riggleman still on staff. Maybe a Joe Girardi becomes available and, and wants to take the job. Again, this is just like, this doesn't happen with good teams. Yeah, the difference here, in my opinion, is that, like, unlike last year with the Mets and Sandy Alderson was around, like, Sandy's a patient to a fault. Sandy is not willing to, like, just throw cards in the wind. Brody kind of has this idea of tinkering constantly. He wants to do something to shake up the Mets. Like, look at this. They picked up a guy off the Indians all the way down, Brooks Pounder, who, yes, his career though was not good, but he did something to try and shake up the mix here. This could be one where he says, you know what, I'm trying, guys. It's my first year on the job. I want to show you guys that I care, so... I'm not going to let this go on any longer. Well, so you think that Callaway is going to be fired after this road trip if the Mets do what they think they're going to do, and then you said that there was going to be, you said that there was going to be a shakeup. Um, so if Van Wagenen's still trying to salvage the season, getting closer and closer to the July All Star break, do you think the Mets are going to be buyers or sellers come the All Star break, or neither? I don't. I don't know what they're going to do at the break because. It's a hard sell for the fan base. Exactly. And it makes Van Wagenen look like an idiot. He's saying, you know what, I, I'm all in. We're going to win now. Remember, back in January, like, after they signed uh, Jeb Ali, he goes to the press conference and says, come get us. We're the NLE favorites. It's hard to do that. And then on July 31st, come out and say, oh, Zach Wheeler's for sale. Todd Brady's for sale. Juan McGarrett's for sale. It's hard for them to do that. So I think they're either going to hold or they're going to do very modest buys if they're in, in the mix at that point, which I don't think they will be. So what it sounds like to me is that the fan base runs the team, that their every decision that they make. Let me correct. Let me correct you on that one real quick. The fan base not run the team. Ownership is terrified of what their fans think of them, and they. So owners. So the fan base runs the team. No, the the problem is the owner is incompetent and is worried about perception, which is why they always. Which is why the fan base owns the team. Because if the owners are afraid of what the fan base is going to say and they're going to react and hold back or do things or not do things as a as you know because they're afraid of what the perception is, then we can get into technicalities all we want. But the fan base owns the team because decisions have to be made by ownership to say, listen, yes, our plan was to win this year. We believed we put a good enough product on the field to win this year. But you know what? We're not good enough. And we don't have enough 
you know, forever guys or prospects that we feel good about that are going to lead us to the next, you know, run of sustained, you know, possible division winning titles. So whether you want to hear it or not, or you like it or not, I think Met fans would actually embrace it because it would break the status quo. Because if you're then doing, you know, some modest buys, then now we're talking about what we just did on our last topic. They're not going all in. They're not going to absorb salaries. They're not going to go out and get the best pitchers or the best position players available. They're going to hold on to the guys that the fans like because of public perception. So they're going to try to trade an asset like a Todd Frazier and a Juan Lagares. You're going to get a bag of baseballs for Todd Frazier, and you're probably getting not much more than that for Juan Lagares, who's a nice fourth outfielder probably on a, on a championship team. And there's a lot of fourth outfielders hanging around there on the waiver wire. So if you're not going to trade Wheeler, if you're not going to entertain DeGrom or Syndergaard, and I don't think you can entertain DeGrom now. So if you entertain Syndergaard, if you're not going to do any of that, who are you going to trade? Jairus Familia? Nobody wants him. So you're stuck in purgatory again. You have to eventually make decisions. The And I hate talking about the Yankees and the Mets. Like, yes, we're the Yankee fans. But in 2016, that team was expected to win. They brought back A-Rod and Teixeira. They had McCann and Beltran. They made some moves, bringing in a star one Castro, and expected to be contenders. They weren't very good or anything more than 500. And I think they understood that the product was getting stale. And as a Yankee fan who knew nothing but winning, I was also getting kind of tired of seeing the old, and Tom, I think you're an echo too, right? Absolutely. Like, we were kind of getting rid of tired of just seeing the same old, oh, they're going to make some, an Alfonso Soriano trade to make something a little bit better out of a bad situation or an Ichiro at the end of his career or who did play well for them. But, you know, you know what I'm getting at. Like, moves that aren't really great, but they, they have to be done because you can't tell your fan base you're throwing in the towel. They trade Aroldis Chapman. They trade Andrew Miller when they didn't have to. They trade Beltron. And out of nowhere... The next year, they're in Game 7 of the ALCS. And that's what winning teams do. They take those chances. They let their young guys evolve. They bring in prospects who either blossom into really good players or you use them as trade collateral to go get other savvy players. If the Mets' plan is to be maybe very casual buyers or stand pat because the ownership is afraid of what the fan base is doing or going to react to and and criticize them for then you are going to be seeing this forever. Yeah, and that's a terrifying process because I also don't trust them to sell properly either because the last two years when they've actually sold pieces, the priority is not big getting back the best players. It's basically, basically been dumping salary, which is ridiculous if you're a New York team because remember, the Yankees and Mets almost had a Jaybird's trade a couple of years ago and Mets refused to do it because they wanted the Yankees to take on all the money, which they wouldn't do. And they get sent it to Cleveland instead for a... 30th round pixels who's currently a double A affiliate right now. Yeah. And again, that's the public person. They're worried about what their fan base is going to say. They're, they're under the assumption that, Oh my God, we traded a good player to the Yankees and we're helping the Yankees. And Oh my God, how can Met fans who have the inferiority complex handle seeing Jay Bruce? I'm sorry. Jay Bruce is not a forever Met. Steve, or, you know, Lucas Duda is not a forever Met. He's a nice player. So if are you're not going to make the better move simply because you can't help the Yankees get their 
you know, backup first baseman or a fill-in outfielder. Like, that's what losing teams do. So, yeah, I, I hate to say it, man, but with, regardless of how you want to look at it, the fan base owns this team. Because if they really trusted themselves and made the right moves and said, we don't give a shit what our fan base says, this is our move, we have conviction in it, and this is going to help us even if it helps the Yankees in the short term, then that's those are the chances you have to take. If you're tied to how your how your public perception is, then you're not going anywhere. No successful team does, and and as you see, that's done a lot with the New York Jets and the New York Knicks. They're very very self conscious about how they're being viewed and how they're being talked about and how they're being covered. Yeah, as far as this is concerned, my big issue, and like that's obviously made a good point about this, but with the Mets here, my my issue with the selling is that. The money thing terrifies me because remember last year when they traded Jerry Samaria off, they made the Oakland A's take all of his money, which was about $3 million left on his contract. I'm sorry, but the money ball team should not be taking out all of your money when you play in New York City. I agree with you, but again, it's it goes back to just being half pregnant. It goes back to dipping a toe in the water. I mean, Terrible owners. What'd you say? Terrible owners. Yeah, uh, it, it's just, it, it all goes back to that. And we could talk to a blue in the face. This pot could go on for four hours. I could be falling asleep. And it all comes down to this team is half pregnant. Your owners are terrible. And the fact that they just want to give off a perception that they're attempting to win. And it just, I, I hate talking about it. I feel like I'm in purgatory and I'm not even a Mets fan. Because this yeah, welcome to my world. I, I, I totally feel you because this season, the Mets should be doing exactly what Sean said. They should throw up the white flag. They should trade what they need to trade. Obviously, you're going to hold on to DeGrom after signing into that massive deal. But they should see what the market is on Wheeler, who I don't think they're going to trade because they're the Mets. They should see what the market is on Syndergaard, who they're definitely not going to trade because they're the Mets. And they should check in on maybe Rosario. I don't know if he has any value or anything. I think you should build this team around a Pete Alonso and a, what's his face, Jeff McNeil, right? He's the third baseman. Yeah. And I think you should go from there. And I think that this team should be trading off pitching assets for position players and trying to build up that farm system because that's how you win fucking baseball games. I would rather be right now the Miami Marlins who are absolutely terrible, selling off everything left and right, acquiring a million prospects to try and be better in the end than be the Mets right now that are half pregnant because you know what? You're not going to make the playoffs anyways. You're not going to sell extra tickets. You're not going to sell playoff tickets. So you might as well suck and rebuild. And Tom, you're 100% right too because if you want to... I saw something today that from Sweeney Murdy, who covers the Yankees, also works on, does some work on the fan. He said that the Yankees love Wheeler. Now, I don't know if I love Wheeler, but the, apparently the Yankees do. And the next line was, I'm a huge fan of Wheeler. it doesn't matter because it won't happen because the Mets won't trade with the Yankees. I know. And I'm just like, it hurt me because I'm like, wow, if there's a play, like you have to cross them off because... Like they're just it, they won't do it more so than like the Yankees wouldn't do it. It's like I don't want to part with a Clint Frazier or and Miguel Andujar, but if it gets me the pitcher that I think is going to put us over the top, and then you get your third baseman of the future or 
a left fielder of the future that's actually going to play and be yeah, productive. Absolutely. You do that deal if you're a good franchise. I've already announced on this pod that Frazier is my guy for this season, but I will drive to the Bronx right now or wherever they live, pick them both up and drive them to Queens and pick up Jacob deGrom on the way back. Yeah, and even if As it's the not Yankees DeGrom, fan. like a Wheeler, like the, the whole... The, it doesn't even matter who the player is. The point is, is that the Mets are that hard headed and that, you know, afraid that the fan base is going to have a conniption that they made a deal with the Yankees and helped the almighty Yankees. Well, without even trading them to the Yankees, Dwight Gooden threw a no hitter and won two world series with the Yankees and Daryl strawberry won three. So They'll leave as free agents, and they could sign anywhere. If the Yankees make the right offer, then they're going to help them anyway. It's just that inferiority complex that I look at, and I'm like, I, I just don't get why you would be that closed off. And part of my appeal towards Brody Van Wagenen is because he's a former agent, and it seems like he's one of these new age guys. Mike, let me know if, if you agree. I don't think he has any problem trading with the Phillies, trading with the the Braves, the Nationals, the Yankees, but he has to get clearance from ownership, and they do. You, you nailed it. And by the way, they are losing nine three tonight to the Braves in the eighth inning, so that's one loss on the road trip ticker. Excellent. There you go, man. You at least you can be right. At least Tanaka you can hold threw on a complete game shutout. Yankees beat Tampa three nothing. We'll take it. That's but at least she'll be right in the end, and the Mets will go two and nine on this on this eleven game road trip, and they'll probably fire him. So, at least you could say historically you were right. I'll give you that to hold on to. Yeah, it does need some small comfort. Yeah, a little bit. All right, so Mike's gonna stick around. He's gonna do the rest of the pod, and we are gonna do a little bit of Yankees, and then just run down the rest of the MLB. So Sean, perk up a little bit, Mike. I don't even know how you're talking after that because that was depressing, and I'm not even a Mets fan, to be honest with you. Well, that's the life of the podcast. Sometimes you've got to get used to talking about stuff. He was not the most exciting thing. He does it for the people. Yeah, it, it's it was it's not that it wasn't exciting. It's just as a fan of that team, when I get talking about the Knicks, I just want to jump out the window. But um, like, I root for I root for the unholy trinity here. I got the Knicks, the Mets, and the Jets, so it's not fun. No, that that's brutal. I'm I'm happy to have the Yankees tucked in there because I am a Jets fan. All right, Sean, let's talk some Yankees. So the Yankees just beat up on the Rays. Didn't really beat up on them, but Tanaka gave us a complete game shutout, three nothing. They split with the White Sox. They sent Frazier down. We you already cried about it last night for about forty five minutes. <laughs> so sorry about I, that. I don't. We don't have to hear any more about that fanboyness. Um, has Frazier played his last game as a Yankee? You never say never because if Stanton doesn't come back, if Stanton gets hurt again, or if Judge doesn't make a full recovery, or you know Hicks, who's Injury like a bull in a, in a china shop, you know he gets hurt. There's always the chance. I think he's the he's going to be the first guy that comes up. But if everybody, if the stays status quo, yeah, they made the conscious decision that Edwin Encarnacion was an upgrade in this lineup that. They're okay with having Gardner be the fourth outfielder. That they're okay with Urshela being the only other infielder, and you have Romine. And we've talked about this, and the only reason I was so, I was upset, like I felt for him, like I did, like it's he's done nothing wrong. He came back from that brutal concussion last year that cost him a season. He said, you know, he just didn't even feel he couldn't even walk, like he was just totally out of it. And the kid's twenty four years old, and. 
he's losing a spot to not Judge or Stanton, but to a guy that they just decide that they're going to bring in, who, yes, does make the team better. But that's really tough pill to swallow, and it feels like he just hasn't been given every opportunity that a guy like Bird had, a guy like Sanchez has, a guy like Hicks has had. And you feel for him because we've obviously now seen him in a large sample size. He's a damn good player. But he doesn't seem like he's one of Cashman's guys. And now their lineup is potent as all hell. And they have to upgrade their rotation. Every team that the Yankees are going to be in touch with is going to ask for Clint Frazier. And now he's expendable. Yeah, I absolutely think he played his last game as a Yankee. Um, Barring a catastrophic injury or something like that going down, even if maybe a Gardner gets hurt, then they pull him back. But what do you think, Mike? I think for sure he's definitely a trade candidate for that team because in terms of just having to go for the kind of pitching they want to go for, if you want in that Max and Gumbrother class, that Max Scherzer class, that Trevor Bauer class, you're going to have to blow away the field to get that kind of guy in there. And what's the best trade topper? A guy like Clint Frazier, who is showing you to do at the big league level, has a ton of control left on, on there in terms of team control. And you know, they all love that these days. Like, I'll get the young player I have him for five years, and he's going to be part of my team. But basically, he's not doesn't really fit with the Yankee right now, especially if they're going to commit to playing Stan the outfield more. So you know what? Why not turn into Madison Bumgarner? Do the Mets here again? Max Scherzer, I'll be at least. Oh God, Max Scherzer, that'd be nice. I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, but... I don't see the Nats trading him. No, not me either. But it is definitely a dream. So. Looking forward, I mean, we've talked about the Yankees almost every single time on our pod, so I think we can jump into the rest of the MLB. I think they need two starting pitchers. I think they need two. It hinges to me on Severino. Um, I, I, if I'm if I'm Cashman and we're going all in on 2019, I can't hinge it on a guy who's been out for who was bad in the second half of last season going into the playoffs and who has been out the entirety of this season, I can't hinge it on that. You have to go out and get two starters. I would tend they get, they I can't fucking believe that they didn't sign Dallas Keuchel. The Good Vibes store is so fucking close to being over in my eyes. I am <laughs> so upset between that and the AD trade and the Knicks not getting the first pick and they're not going to get KD. I know it's not going to happen, and he's going to go to the Nets, and this good vibe store was all for naught. All right. Well, there's a lot there. Uh, but, yeah, I think <laughs> this really is the Just End the Suffering pod crossover, I'm suffering it? right now. Um, it's, it's interesting because I think even just one top-tier pitcher puts them over the edge because let's just say you don't – you don't get Severino back. In the worst-case scenario, he doesn't come back. But you are getting a Jordan Montgomery. You are getting a Jonathan Loizaga back. You have Domingo Herman, who's going to be coming back soon. Clearly, a guy like a Nestor Cortez has been quite good. Once they're in the postseason, they have their starting rotation taken care of with Tanaka, with Paxton, if he's healthy, Hap. And then if you bring in, if you have Severino back or you go get, you know, a top front of the line guy. I'm not really worried about getting two. I'm worried more about getting one really good one. And the other thing we've seen now, the Yankees are deploying DJ LeMahieu as their everyday third baseman. And Gio Urshela is hitting 330. And he's now going to probably play two or three times a week. 
Miguel Andujar is expendable now. So he's another top-tier trade chip. Probably should have won Rookie of the Year last year just given the whole body of work. And now he's right up there with Clint Frazier as far as guys they can trade. They have an Esteban Florial down in single A still. They have some pitchers in Loizaga and Herman that are attractive. They have some guys pitching down in single A, double A uh, that are really high-end potential arms too. There's no shortage of talent that the Yankees have to dip their, you know, into their pool of prospects and go get a guy. I don't want to see them go in and get like somebody who's, eh, you know, I, I Mike Miner is he that much better than somebody else that they could just bring in and pitch every fifth day? He's pretty good this year. He is very. He's a very nice pitcher. He is. But if I'm giving something up, now is the time to go big or go home. So what are you setting the bar at? Stroman My, is the bottom. I I would really I would take a gamble at Stroman. I okay. would. And there and even though it sucks to trade within the division, you're getting a guy under team control. It seems like he's a big game pitcher. Again, this could be Sunny Gray 2.0, but it could also be the guy that he's going to go in and pitch you a really good start every game. And going forward, I don't CC's, think he's Sunny Gray 2.0 because he has a lot more playoff experience than Sunny Gray, and he was filthy in the playoffs. It was, Gray had 2013. Yeah, Stroman but, had 2015 and some of 16. And you also, I mean, not that it matters. He hasn't been great the last two years, by the way. Gotta, well, he's been injured a lot. Right. This is my guy. This is my favorite player in baseball. No, I so. love Stroman. That's I not mean, the I'm problem. Gonna the, him. The I'm going to defend is him that, to death. But he also has the USA Baseball performance. If we mm-hmm. want to go back to that, where he won the MVP in the most recent one. He was filthy. Um, so I, I just think he's a much better pitcher than Sonny Gray at this point. Well, at this point, yes. Stuff-wise... Well, all, at the point all, in which the Yankees acquired Gray, we were quite happy about that. I, I was excited, but again, we did, we never really saw, aside from I think one playoff game, Sonny Gray really do it. This guy's got a little bit more of a body of work. What do you think, Mike? Who who should the Yankees go out and get? Now, Max Scherzer, I know you're going to say that, maybe, but that's kind of a pipe dream. I think we would all take Max Scherzer in, in a heartbeat, but who do you think is a little more realistic? Would you like to see Stroman? I think I think the best fit for them is Bumgarner by far because he's a pending free agent. The Giants are going to trade him because they have to get assets back, and he's a proven playoff performer, which the Yankees desperately need because the state doesn't go right, and you end up in that wild card game. Why would you not want Madison Bumgarner starting that elimination game for you? We saw it in New York when he played the Mets in 2016, shut them out. You want that kind of guy in your team who can be. Take the, ball, take the ball in those big games, just win them for you. And you need that top-tier guy, like kind of impact, like Verlander, out of the Astros. I don't think the Stroman is in that category. I'm sorry, Tom. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I'm just looking at it from a point that I'm not going to give up a Frazier or an Andahar-type player for a rental. Yeah, and Mike, yeah, I want to ask you this because – I had been in your camp for really a long time. Tom and I have kind of gone at this a little we bit. We butted heads on the Bumgarner, and, and I've always I have been an advocate for Bumgarner, really up until I'm starting to sour on him a little bit. But again, I want to get your take on it because I'm looking at it from a couple different lenses. If I'm looking at it from the glass half full, I'm saying exactly what you just said: proven playoff, probably the best postseason pitcher of our gener- of the last 10, 15 years. He's a guy who seems like he could use a change of scenery. He's still young enough, and he's experienced and crafty enough to know how to get people out, and he's got that edge to him pitching in so many World Series games. 
he could be the, he could have the Verlander effect where he's just he gets plugged into a pennant race and he just takes off. And I would love for that to happen. And if that is the case, it's going to take a lot to get him. But the other questions is is that playoff game you referred to against the Mets was three years ago. That World Series against the Royals was five years ago. He's had a couple injuries since then. His velocity's way down. His numbers have not been great. And yet, and he's also, like Tom said, a rental. Where if it doesn't work out, I don't think he's the kind of guy the Yankees are going to re-sign. And now you've just gave up a couple blue-chip prospects. If you look at a guy like a Stroman, even though it's in the division, you feel a little bit better about that because you've got him under team control for a few more years. I would like a Bumgarner. Um, I agree with both of your guys' um, thoughts when it comes to the playoff pedigree. I would like a Bumgarner, but at what cost? That's what I have to say about that. And if the Giants are asking for a Frazier, an Andahar, or any of the top pitching prospects, you got to hang up the phone. How do you look at this, Mike? I think you're measuring this team on championships. I, I think Bungar is the best chance you have to get a championship. And the Yankees don't care about that because they will go get what they need to get. And I think at this point, you've tried the Sunny Go route before. You've tried the B-plus pitcher before, and it hasn't worked for them on the deadline. So go get the A guy. I think, I'm not saying treat everybody for him. I'm saying that like, if they want to play players, I send them out there. I think you're right if we're looking back at the Yankees in 2005 where or, or previous to that where they'll go out and get any guy but I don't think the 2019 Yankees are going to spend too much on a Madison Bumgarner because I mean this team wants to be a dynasty and this is a lot smarter and more savvy of the baseball team and I just don't think that they are going to throw the prospects to the wind for for a Madison Bumgarner the playoff resume is there but you know what again that's it, the Royals World Series against the Mets was in 20 what 16 and the one after that was in 20 what? Well, the the Giants World Series that he was the hero one was 14, and then that one game playoff against the Mets was two years later. Yeah, so I I just think that the Yankees listen. They could trade for him, and I will be happy about it depending on the deal. Again, and we, I, at what cost do I have to pay for Madison Bumgarner? Frazier's off the table for me, and Har's off the table for me. I would trade a Herman. I would trade a Domingo. Yeah, that deal is probably not getting done. No, I, no, no, I, no, not just not. him. I would, I would trade a Floreal. I would trade a Herman, and and probably throw in like, I mean, if somebody will take Chance Adams off my hands. Well, I think that's the thing is is you're you're talking about a guy who's an interesting case because even if he's not throwing the ball great, it's his name and his history that's going to propel a team to pay the price. You know, last year the Yankees acquired two rentals at the deadline, starting pitchers. They acquired Jay Happ for your former guy, Brandon Drury, who had lost his job. And I got to stop making guys my guys. And also, they don't seem to work out. They're not working out. And And then a Billy McKinney, who was lost in the outfield shuffle. And then they traded a Tyler Austin for a Lance Lynn. But neither of those guys, although I I still really like Happ, and I loved Happ last year and ended up going 8 0 down the stretch for the Yankees. I still like Happ. Those aren't Madison Bumgarners. So the Giants, they're going to have somebody. I look at a team like the Brewers who are going watch, to. Watch Atlanta. What's that? He said watch Atlanta. Watch it. Yeah, Atlanta too. I mean, they got Keuchel clearly. They've got Tehran. They've got Newcomb. They, they could go all in too. And clearly they have the prospect um, 
plethora of, of talent to go get to go get him. But again, it, it's probably not going to come down to what he's currently pitching at that's going to justify a trade package. They're going to say, listen, we're trading you the best postseason pitcher of the last 10, 15 years. And our money is on him still being really good. So if you're not giving us one of your top-tier position players on a team that has basically nothing, and then also throwing in two other pitchers to replace him that we feel really good about, then you're not getting this done. And I, I agree with you, Tom. I'd like him at my price. But I don't think that that's how reality works. And a team like Atlanta or Milwaukee is going to swoop right in and take that. Unless you're the Los Angeles Lakers and you literally give up everything for the next decade, that's not how reality works. And that's the Yankees are I mean, not going to do that. They're not that desperate. You mean pulling to Brooklyn? What did you say? You mean pulling to Brooklyn? What about Brooklyn? How the Nets give up everything for the KG trade? Way back I don't the day. remind Sean of that now. I don't want him to start crying on the pot. He's already emotional over Frazier. But, uh, yeah, it could be Brooklyn, too, in that sense. Um, I, I, I like the Yankees more for Stroman at this point because Bumgarner has not looked good, and I don't think they're going to give up too much. Um, and I think the controllability of Stroman and the fact that you're – you're going to have to give up a Frazier, and you're probably going to have to give up two pitching prospects. But I feel a lot better about that for a Stroman, a younger pitcher with less miles on his arm, than I do for a Bumgarner. Also, the fact that Bumgarner could walk away, or the Yankees could wash their hands of him in a, in a year. Right, and that seems to be, to for Tom's happen. point, the kind of... Aside from Happ and Lynn last year, who were both guys that they really just needed to get through that that stretch, that they really started to not play great baseball and and anchor a rotation that was falling apart. Their mo has really been both on the trade front in the off season and in July is go get the guy that has team control that we think we can work with. That's that's what the 2019 Yankees have been doing. That's what this new Brian Cashman and his and his group of analytics guys have been doing. It's really a tough decision because if you if you punt on Bumgarner and he goes in on one of these runs with an Atlanta or a Milwaukee, you're going to be kicking yourself for not going out and taking that chance on a guy whose resume says he would do that. But then, of course, too, is if you do get him and it doesn't work out and you didn't go get Stroman and either he stays in Toronto and finishes up a really strong campaign or somebody else goes and gets him who misses out on Bumgarner and he does what my last example says, well, now it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's tough. I think it really, the reason I said it hinges on Severino is I think that he's going to dictate what level of pitcher they go get. If they think they just need another steady arm who's going to give them some length and a good quality start every five days, Mike Miner. Then they're going to look in the Mike Miners, or they're going to look in those kind of guys. They're not going to. They're not going to even try to sniff around at one of the top tier pitchers. But if they have reservations about Severino and they don't know what they're going to get when he comes back, I know they don't want to put all that pressure on a Montgomery or on a. Um, Loisaga or Herman, so they're gonna they're probably then gonna go swimming in the deep end of the pool and looking at a Wheeler, looking at a at, at a maybe a Matthew Boyd from Detroit. Is Wheeler really in the deep end? Huh? Is Wheeler in the deep end? I think he is. He's I think good, teams but... love him, man. He's got great stuff, and he just hasn't harnessed it yet. 
and consistently. He had a really good end to the season last year, right, Mike? Like, Wheeler was really good down the stretch for you guys. Yeah, Wheeler was amazing down the stretch last year, but that's the only time he's been consistently good. I would see a lot of Phil Hughes in him. Like a guy who could be I, so been, good, but then he has that game like he did against the Yankees last week when he's given a 4-1 lead, and he just completely implodes. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. Is like I, I didn't get that point because, like, let's be honest, where was your free agent this year? Like, I wanted no part of resigning him because I'm not giving that man $100 million because I'd be terrified of what I get back. Yeah, I agree with you. He's, uh, he's very hit or miss. He's... I mean, he's just one of those pitchers that you're not trying to give $100 million to. Whatever happened to Michael Fulmer? Did he die? Is he Tommy, okay? Tommy John. Ah, uh, okay. Tommy right. And he was a Tommy guy John. that I did not want any part of. Oh, no. I wanted him so bad. Tom wanted him. I said, no, nope, this is... Nasty. I, he was my... Mike, just for the for the uh, reference, I said he was Sonny Gray 2.0. I said, here's a guy that had one really good year, and he's not pitching great right now. He doesn't have enough of a tenure or experience for me to say, yep, I have to go get him. And Tom was like, no, this guy's legit. And he's his arm out. We'll I see. mean, whatever. Yeah. So I think after that, those are the gambles just... though. You take with those younger high end guys. I mean, we saw Pineda didn't work out. Yep. There's a lot of those cases. Yeah, absolutely. And Stroman could be one of those too, but I think he's a little more proven than the rest of those guys. He's got a few more years under his belt. I think we've all just determined our three brains are put together that the Yankees should just go all in on Max Scherzer and make a godfather offer. What do we think about that? Sign, sign me up for that one. All right, sounds good. I'm in. All right, let's go around baseball a little bit before we go. We went a long time on the Mets. That's got to be the longest we've ever talked about the Mets, right? But it was great to get you know, a Mets fan's perspective yeah, because we're absolutely. looking from the outside and we're trying to empathize, but we can't, we no. we're it, it's, it's hard. I mean, as a Nick fan, it's a, and a jet fan for you. It's a little bit closer in as a net fan. My team's irrelevant. Nobody cares about them. Yeah, and, they're on the come up. and the giants, they're just, they're just any, like, any, no matter how bad the giants can be at times, you always have a feeling that they're going to figure it out at some point. Yeah, and Brooklyn, before we jump into the rest of it, they're just like the borough of Brooklyn. They're on the come up. I hope so. But what I'm saying is as far as relevance is concerned is like they're not even they're they're not even really thought of that much by like New York fans. Like if you're listening to sports radio, really how much conversation oh, are you right. having about you're the right. Mets? All right, so let's jump into the MLB. Are the Twins for real? I think they are. I think that they have the pitching to do it. I think that they have a pretty good bullpen. And this offense is cooking. Uh, Max Kepler's pretty good. Uh, the other, What's the guy, Rosario? Is that who I'm talking about? Yeah, Eddie Rosario, he's like, yeah. He's like an MVP candidate. Nelly Cruz is crushing the ball out there. I think this team's pretty good. This team's awesome. Scope's really good, too. And their rotation's been super strong. What do you see from them, Mike? I love that team. That team is good. One I thought could be good at the beginning of the year. They just fit so much better than I thought they could be. And as Tom said, our fantasy baseball league. I have two of them in my own. I mean, those are your five bucks in the carry this year. I'm in first place in that league right now. Oh God, not to brag, not to brag. I do have Julio Barrios on my team and Scope, but whatever. I'm I'm not doing too hot. We won't get too deep into fantasy that that nobody else cares about besides me and Mike. I think this team is for real. I think that they are definitely a contender. Um, would you guys be surprised if they were in the ALCS this year? Depends who they're playing. If they play the Yankees, they're not going to win. Will they make it to the ALCS? That's the question. If they play literally anybody else, I say yes. 
so yes, then we'll say yes. What about you, Mike? I'm going to say no, but I don't trust the pitching. I feel like they're going to run into the Astros around one of these problem. I agree with you. I think they're one of these teams that's a few years too early and that they're just going to run into some team that's way more experienced than them, got better pitching, got a better bullpen, and they're just going to get outworked. Is this team much better than, like, the 2017 team yeah. that lost yeah. in the wild card? Yes. yes. Yeah. They're I think their starting better. pitching's a little bit more deep. I, I agree with you, and I think their lineup's a lot deeper, too, because everybody on yes. that team can hit. And defensively, I, and Mike referenced the Rays. This team, if they're not the best defensive team in baseball, they're the second best. I think they're incredible defensively. All right, so let's let's talk about the uh, the Kimbrel deal, and and we'll talk about the Keuchel deal as well. Unfortunately, so what do you think Kimbrel does for the Cubs? I I guess they went all in uh, as best the Cubs could. What what do you think, Mike? Well, that always that deal really got done because this whole weird thing with Ben Zobris being off the roster because he's basically in some weird prolonged divorce settlement with his wife where he's on the inactive list that comes not paying, which is where they got the money to pay Craig Kimball this year. But they needed him badly. Their bullpen's a mess, and now they have a proven closer back there, which the fact that Red Sox never re-signed him it blows my mind, and they're paying the price for that over the course of the year. And that's my question. Did the Red Sox, by not re-signing him, just throw away 2019? I think that's a tough question because, yes, he got the results done, and in a vacuum, he's better than anybody else that they have. But to be perfectly honest, the Red Sox' main problem hasn't really been their bullpen. They've had a couple hiccups, but Craig Kimbrell was just throwing gas on a fire in the playoffs last year. Every game was a heart attack that he came into pitch, so much so that he didn't even finish off the World Series. They brought in Chris Sale to get that game to closing out because, listen, I, Kimbrell, obviously, his resume speaks for himself, and he still is a top-flight guy with a, with a great arm and, and a plus fastball and that nasty slider of his. But he's had... A couple of really rough patches, and the Red Sox just probably said, listen, not dealing with this nonsense for the kind of price that you want. We would love to have you back, but certainly under the idea of a much more, you know, understandable contract. They got three and years they have Matt Barnes, who they really like. They have Ryan Brazier, who they really like. They have a Brandon Workman, who they really like. Keith Hembree just got put on the IL. And I'm not saying that those names are great, and to baseball fans who don't really know them, they're not that great. But, but they've been pl- pitching well. They haven't this year. been terrible. No, they're and, starting and Boston pitching. is not a team that's going to make a reactionary decision. And they probably saw what they had to see out of them last year. Listen, they got a World Series out of them. It was a successful run that he had there. But I definitely don't think that they're kicking themselves over the fact that Cubs, the Cubs gave him three years. Yeah, one year, blank check, I think they would have done it. But the fact that he got three years, uh, I don't think the Red Sox or any other team in baseball, for that matter, were going that high. To be honest, I think the Cubs overpaid for him. But they had to have him. Their bullpen stinks. And they believe that, that's, that they're good enough to go all the way. I was surprised the Nationals didn't go for him because the Nationals have honestly the worst bullpen I've ever seen. They have guys like Wander Suero and they have like a Barraclaw who's not the Danish just getting destroyed left and right and out joke. there all Great the joke, time, John. dude. Every single game coughing up Scherzer leads left and right. 
I don't get it why they didn't go get him, but I think the Cubs knew they had to have him, and if they had that loophole with the Zobra situation, they had to go make sure they got him. What do you do see from that, Mike? Yeah, as far as the Nationals not getting this, the Nationals are like really right up against the luxury guys, and the ownership does not want to go over, which is why Craig could not go there. But I think just in terms of the fit, I think it's a perfect fit for them because they need a closer. He's going to be up here soon. Might be up for time to see the next on the weekend, the way they're going. But I think he'll be a good fit for them to try and take out the Brewers in the Central. The Brewers will be pretty good. All right, so let's move on to the other big free agent signing that happened midseason, and that's Dallas Keuchel. We all know how Sean and I feel about the Yankees not going to get him. It's tragic. It's disgusting. I'm fucking sick about it. Um, but I think it was a really good move for Atlanta, and he's been dominating in the minor leagues. I think he's set to start this Friday in his first game. Two games were enough for him, I guess. Um, I really like this deal for the Braves because it is a wide-open NL East. The Phillies have not been performing up to par. Obviously, the Nationals are having a terrible year. The Mets... We talked about them for about an hour, suck, and then we don't even have to talk about the Marlins. So I think that although I picked them to finish third this year, I was wrong. I think the Atlanta Braves just went ahead and grabbed this division with that move. Yeah, they absolutely could grab that division with that move because the thing, go back to the Yankee thing one second. The thing that bothers me not as much Keiko is the fact that they had Gio Gonzalez in their organization and let him walk. For Domingo Herman, which I think was a dumb decision in, long, in the, in the uh, short term because they needed to have that depth, and now they're going to have to go pay for it on their own. So well, like just a quick combat. You might can get back to your point. Domingo Herman had won nine straight games. So, like, I don't really look at Gio Gonzalez as a guy that really hurt the Yankees. I think they looked at Gio Gonzalez as your stuff doesn't play here, and Herman can't lose for the first two months of the season. So, yeah, a Keiko, yeah, I look at a much guys. better version of a Gio Gonzalez. Yeah, but at the same time, you were, you also have guys with injury history on that team, but like James Paxton and like CC Sarathia. So you're sitting there telling me you couldn't use a guy like Gio on that roster? No, what I'm just saying, though, is that they look at. I trust the antithesis of what the Mets do. I trust the Yankees, and they looked at Gio Gonzalez and said, listen. Is he any better than Nestor Cortez Jr. or Chance Adams or Domingo Herman or us having to use an opener and just play with depth? Because their strength is their bullpen. They don't need a guy. Gio Gonzalez is not a guy that gives you a lot of depth. He's he's a he's a hundred pitches in four innings. The Yankees have plenty of those guys. I think that they just said we're fine. He's not going to make a difference. He's going to the NL Central. It's a lot different than pitching in the AL East. I wasn't thrilled about the Gio Gonzalez trade when or signing when they made it because clearly nobody else even wanted to give him a major league contract. Keiko, I'm upset about. Keiko, is he what he was in 15? No. Is he even what he was in 17? Probably not. But that's a guy that knows how to go deep into games, postseason success, dominant in the Bronx. That's a guy that hurts because that was only for money. But yet, returning to your point, what were you talking about with him and and his now connection in, in Atlanta. As far as as Keiko in Atlanta goes, I mean, I think the thing I worry about with him is obviously the track record of these guys. Last year, we saw everybody who signed Leach struggle when they came out of the gate. Like, Lance Lynn was bad with the twi- with the beginning of the year before he ended up on the Yankees and fell in nicely. Alex Cobb was not great when he started off after sk- skipping spring training pretty much with the Orioles. But I think Keiko is a good spot in Atlanta. They need him to be an ace, though, which is going to be a tough sell because I don't know if he can do that anymore. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, Sean, what do you think about the Keiko deal? I, I really like it for the Braves. Oh, I love it for the Braves. I think he's going to be awesome there. I think he's going to provide stability. He's going to provide that rotation with proven success. And if they want to get to where they want to be, which is deep into the postseason and, and, and at least champions, excuse me, they, they have a guy who you feel really good about taking the ball in a playoff game. And as good as Tehran can be, as much as Newcomb and Fulton Awich and some of these other guys are, I don't think they're they give you that same air of confidence that Keuchel does. Which again, to me, is why I was really surprised that it took a teams that no really other teams other than the Yankees and the and the Braves were that interested in him. You don't need him. if you're a good rotation, you don't need him to be what he was in 2015. You just need him to be a really good, reliable starter. I guess the Yankees, from their standpoint, looked at him and said, we have Jay Happ, we have Paxton, we have Tanaka, we have CeCe. If Severino comes back to the prime Severino form that we expect him to, we got him. And we have so much trade collateral as far as prospects and even fringe major leaguers, guys who should be starting on most major league teams, then we're going to have the opportunity to go get a guy. And even if it means that we're sacrificing players, we would rather have a Bumgarner or we would rather have a Stroman or a, you know, whomever. I think that they really wanted Keuchel, clearly, but they only wanted him at their price. Right now it hurts, but there's a lot of season left to go and they're still a first place team. Atlanta... They're jostling for that positioning as first place in the NL East. What's going to separate them? Give you a really good starting pitcher every five days. I think this was a great move for the Braves. All right, so we are we are doing our MLB extravaganza. Let's take a look around the league real quick before we finish this one up, and we'll give you a few, um, few awards at the end. So let's jump around the league. We will go over, we'll pick some division winners and wild card winners um, of the season so far and who we think are going to carry it out through the rest of the season. So let's start in the, we'll start in the East, we'll start in the NL. In the NL East, the Atlanta Braves are leading it right now. I feel that the Atlanta Braves, I just said it, are going to run away with this division. Um, how do you feel, Mike? Atlanta, by the way, winning 12-3 tonight. I think they take the East. I think this is the team that's just poised to run away with it. They're red hot right now. Shawnee boy? I don't know if they run away with it. They're certainly playing like the best team in this division right now. I still think there's going to be something that Philly's going to have to say about it. Um, the Marlins are irrelevant. The Mets are dealing with their issues. Really and the Nationals can't them. get anybody out. So after the fifth or sixth inning. So I, I think it's going to come down to the Phillies and the Braves, but I think this Keuchel move could push them over the edge, and if they can get a bum garner, as you speculated about, Mike, uh, then it's even more dominant. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the NL Central. Right now, Milwaukee is leading by a game over Chicago, and the Cardinals are sitting 3.5 games back. Division's a little bit tighter. Obviously, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are, are way behind with eight games between them and Milwaukee. Honestly... I think that Milwaukee, unless they get a bump gardener or a top-end pitcher, is going to slow down. And I think the St. Louis Cardinals are going to have a really, really big second half. I like the St. Louis Cardinals to take this division. What do you say, Mike? 
I'm going to stick with the Brewers. I think just the offense is too cold in that division. There's a lot of bad pitching in it. I feel like the Yellow Show is going to continue. And I think they're going to run away. They're going to run away. They're going to sneak out the Central. Mike, I'm, I'm with you, my man. I, I picked him before the season, so I'm not deviating. I, I still really like this team. Yelich is incredible. The rest of that lineup's very good. Yeah, they have a couple of holes, but they have a lot of room to make improvements on this team. I still don't trust the Cubs bullpen, even with the, the addition of Kimbrel. St. Louis is a team that still scares me. They're they're very good, but I don't know if they're great. St. Louis is a team that's sticking around, and they've had they always bad do starting. They pitching. always do, even Mike, in their bad years, they're right there. All their the starting end. pitchers have really underperformed this season. Yeah, which is why I kind of, I agree with Mike. I I, I like the I Brewers. I think they're going to turn it around and regress the mean a little bit. All right, so let's move on to the NL West. This one should be quick. The Dodgers. Mike? Done. How good are the Dodgers going forward, though, guys? Are they the World Se- the consensus World Series pick out of the National League? I believe so. They're no, the best we're, team I've seen this year. You, you think they're the best team, right? They're the best NL team I've seen this year, yes. Absolutely. So let's move on to, uh, to some wild card teams. So... Right now, I believe that if we're looking at the wild card, the Cubs and the Phillies have the two wild card spots. Um, I honestly think it's going to come down to a few teams. I think that the Milwaukee Brewers easily take that first wild card spot, being that I didn't pick them to win the NL Central. And the Philadelphia Phillies take that second wild card spot because, like Sean said, I'm still really worried about that bullpen in Chicago. I think that getting Kimbrel put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, and that doesn't really do much in the long in the long term. Uh, Mike, what do you think? I'm going. I'm going to take the. Uh... I'm going to take the Rockies for one, actually. I think the Rockies are in a good spot in that division. I don't think it's very good. I think they'll be able to collect enough wins to take one of those spots. Probably right the other about one, I think the other one, they're going with the Cardinals. I feel like they're just going to hang around just enough. And I like their bullpen enough to think they'll take the second spot. Shawnee boy. I like the Cubs to be one of them. And I think the Phillies are still going to be relevant. There's a lot of talent on that team. Um, I like the Rockies a lot. They just had an insane series with San Diego. I don't know if you guys saw that. There was a combined 92 runs scored in four games, which I don't know if that's good for the game. Even if it happened in Coors Field, I don't know if that's good for the sport. Like There were football scores being played a couple of those games. Uh, I like Philly. I, I don't love Philly, but I like them. And then Chicago is good enough to grab a, a wild card spot. So who's your two? You just name like four teams. Philly and Chicago. All right, there we go. All right, so let's move on to the AL. We'll start in the East again. The New York Yankees are leading the Tampa Bay Devil Rays by a game and a half. I think that the Yankees, I'm confident in one of my sports fathers. I think that the Yankees do the right thing, getting closer to the trade deadline. I think they go out and get a starter, maybe two, hopefully two. I want to. I think the Yankees pull it out in this division. What do you think, Mike? I don't think the Yankees as well. I think they're going to be – I believe the Red Sox are a different issue, but they're far enough ahead of them. They won't have to worry about it. They will make a move to get a guy like a bumper. Probably not to get him ahead of the race. All right, Sean. Yeah, I, 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 I like the feel about this Yankee team. All right, moving on to the AL Central. The Minnesota Twins are blowing everybody else out of the water. Give me the Twins. Same. Min- same. 
All right, so let's move out into the AL West. Houston is dominating that one as well. They are up nine and a half games on the Texas Rangers, who are somehow in the wild card race. I think that goes to show how terrible the bottom slash middle of the American League is this year. Not too many teams are competing. Uh, give me the Houston Astros out there in the West. What do you think, Mike? Locking up Astros. Yep. All right. So let's look at the wild card race. It just baffles my mind right now looking at this, how many games back these teams are in their division. And you have Tampa Bay, Texas, and Boston being the top three. And the Indians are only a half game back. Can you believe this shit? I am going to take Tampa Bay easily because they are the best team out of any of these teams that are not leading the division. And then, I don't know, just throw a dart at the board for the second team. Give me Boston because they won the World Series last year, and I think that they can figure out a way to turn it around. What do you think, Mike? I will take Tampa Bay as well. I like them as, as a wild card team. I know they're doing the best of that bench, but the second one, this is a team that was, I was high on in the preseason. I took them as an over in my baseball over under bets with our friend Phil Flanetta. The Texas Rangers, I think they're going to get that second wild card, take advantage of the very, very weak. AL West and get more wins in the Red Sox and get in that second spot. I like what you're doing. You're going with weak divisions on teams that can beat up in that second wild card spot with the Rockies and the Texas Rangers. I I should have done that, but I didn't. So, Sean, what do you think? Mike, I love that Texas pick. I I don't think of them that way, but they really have been they've been on a little bit of a run. Their potent offense and their pitching, especially if they keep Mike Miner, could keep them in there. But I'm going to go with Tampa Bay being my first team for all the reasons you guys articulated. And I'm actually going to go with the Cleveland Indians. Um, basically, everything that could go wrong for them has so far. Bauer has not been great. Kluber's been hurt, and before that, he wasn't great. Carrasco's possibly done forever with some kind of really weird health injury or health issue. Um, but I still think there's too much talent on this team. I, and I think that they're going to go out and, and go out and make a move uh, I think guys who have been expected to play better should play better. And as you said, for all their problems, they're a half a game out of that second wild card. I, I like them. Um, and they've been there, done that. And I think they have one of the best managers in baseball and Terry Francona. So give me Tampa Bay and give me Cleveland. All right. So before we wrap things up, because we're about an hour and a half into this MLB check-in extravaganza, let's go over some I guess mid-season, almost mid-season awards here. So let's start off with the MVP. In the NL, give me Cody Bellinger. The guy is absolutely killing it. He's stealing bases. He's hitting home runs. He's playing really good defense in the outfield. What do you think, Mike? That's a that's a really tight three-horse race between him, Yelich, and Josh Bell on Pittsburgh. I will take oh, yeah, Yelich. He's crushing. Yelich, a little home runs in there for the fantasy team, but I'll take him. <laughs> I'm going to go with Bellinger, too. Um, Bell has been incredible, but that team's no good. And I think that they're going to make sure that this award goes to a team that a player on a team that's actually, you know, valuable enough to be a playoff team. All right, so let's move on to the AL MVP. This one's a little bit tougher because Trout, he's on a bad team, but he's putting up Trout numbers again. Trout's the best player in baseball. It's not close. And honestly... He's my guy. I got to give it to Trout just because of the fact that I don't think there's anybody that's blowing us out of the water on on really good AL teams. I think that these are just really good teams this year. I mean, 
I picked who did I pick? I picked um Correa. He's been fucking hurt all year, so there goes that. Nobody on nobody on the Astros has really stuck out to me. Nobody on Minnesota has really stuck out. I just think that's a really good team. And nobody on the Yankees has really stuck out. I guess you could throw DJ LeMay in there. I was just going to say, LeMayhew's been But amazing. he's not going to win the MVP. No, he's not. Who do you think is going to win the MVP? I got Mike Trout. Mike. I, I think Mike Trout's probably going to get it. I would not be surprised if any first guy on the Twins is a run ahead of his average up a little bit. But I think Trout right now is probably the best bet. Trout's the best bet, but a dark horse for you is Gary Sanchez. Okay, so who do you have? I'll go Trout. I All said right. that. All but right. I said just a dark the, horse could be Sanchez. Just in the in, just because you want to be right. But I, I would have gone Sanchez. Just go bold. I picked Houston win the finals this year. Just go bold. Go ahead. I'm not doing that. It's Trout. All right, fine. All right, so let's move on to the next award, and that is the Cy Young Award. In the NL, I don't really know who I have, to be honest with you. It might be Nola. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to go with Nola. Mike, what do you think? I think you guys have to get the Hyunjin Ryu with the Dodgers. He's been phenomenal this season. He has been nasty. I'm so glad you said that. That was my guy too, Mike. Ryu has been the he's been the best pitcher that the Dodgers have this year. He's great. All right, so let's look at the other side. And now I'm going to say this, and and usually the Cy Young Award goes to the best pitcher. Not to the not to a playoff team kind of thing like last year Degrom won. Give me Lucas Giolito. I think that he's going to win the Cy Young Award like this year for Chicago. Who do you think, Mike? Another sleeper, I think, has not got enough hype, but he's pitching extremely well with his new team, Charlie Morton, down in Tampa. Okay, I like that. What do you What do you think, Sean? Yeah, this is tough in the AL. This is really tough in the AL. I'm probably going to have to go and I'm going to have to go with Blake Snell again. I think Blake Snell is having another really fantastic year. And if Tampa makes the playoffs, I think he could win it again. All right. So let's just talk about the rookie of the year before we get going. Cause we are about an hour and 35 minutes in. We'll start off with the NL. I think this one's inevitable. A bright spot for the Mets. Got to go with Pete Alonzo. What do you think, Mike? I think at Pete Alonso, I do not sleep on Mike Soroka on the Braves. He's been very good this year. He has. Um, but I think Pete Alonso is ascending to levels of superstardom. And in New York City, I think that matters, even if the team's not great. Um, I was going to say Chris Paddock before he got sent, sent down. down yep. um, I don't know if he's going to have enough innings where he's really going to make a difference. I had picked... Fernando Tatis Jr. before the season started, but he got hurt, and Alonzo was just taken off, so I'm going to go with Pete Alonzo. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on to the AL now. I have, he has just gotten really, really hot out there in Chicago. I have Eloy Jimenez to carry it through the rest of the year. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I'm going to ride the Eloy train as well. He's got a huge price off of the White Sox. That team is sneaky good. They are sneaky good. They just played a really tough four-game set with the Yanks. I like Jimenez a lot. Obviously, everybody does. But I'm going to stick with my guy that I picked to start the season, and that's Vlad Jr. He's not started off phenomenal, and he's had a little bit of an injury. But I think that there's so much hype around him that if he just takes off and Jimenez slows down a little bit, I think people will give it to him. I think another name on that Toronto team to look at is Gavin Biggio. 
he's played really, really well. Um, obviously, Jimenez is the is the top pick right now, but I think that if Vlad Jr. goes nuts or Biggio goes nuts, those guys are, could possibly steal it. So who's your pick? I told you, Vlad Jr. Yeah, but you're naming 10 guys. I'm saying dark horses. I'm not going to just say one name. Support like, me here, Mike. How many guys did he pick? Why don't you just go down every roster? <laughs> I think people would like to hear that there's other guys to talk about no, instead I, of just, oh, you're always, you're William Menace. Oh, you're always you're hedging Menace. your bets. I'm not. I said oh, Vlad it's, Jr. It's sad. I said really Vlad is. Jr. Vlad Jr. Fine. Lock it in. All right, Mike. Well, that, about wraps up, that wraps up this podcast. Thank you for coming on. Why don't you give us a few plugs before you go? We will be running your Nets article either tonight. It's really late. Maybe tomorrow. But it will be out soon. He's going to have a Brooklyn Nets article up on sorrysports.com. So why don't you run down the rest of your plugs before we get going? All right. Well, you can, you guys like what you heard from me today. You can check out my podcast, Just End the Suffering. You can search for it on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, all those app platforms. You can find it there. This week's episode just dropped today. I spoke to Patrick Schmidt for college hoops that are fans. I previewed the NBA draft. I was talking a little hockey. We broke down the St. Louis Blues winning the cup. Talk about the Mets some on here. Obviously, you heard plenty of talk about the Mets here, but I had some more thoughts there. And a little NBA Finals recap this week. So that's all out there if you want to check that out. All right, man. Sounds good. And your um, your website is justonthesuffering.wordpress.com, right? Yep, that's correct. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. Absolutely, and thank you for coming on, my friend. It's been it's been long overdue. I'm glad. I hope you're okay after talking about the Mets for about 50 minutes. That's a long time to talk about it without getting sad. But I hope Sean and I kind of talked you off the ledge. I don't know if we did, but thank you for. At coming least it on. was a good therapy session, right, Mike? Yeah, it's very therapeutic. Good. It's and thanks again for coming on, man. Great talking to you again. Yes, so just in the suffering, everybody go check it out wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, thanks for listening to the show.